Hey guys, my name is Haley Grove, and I'm a big believer that dance can be the thing you love most in life, but it can't be your life. Not if you want to have a sustainable career. I want to explore and highlight some of the things that dancers do outside of the studio. What fuels your creativity? What keeps you grounded? What are your other passions outside of dance that make you, you? So that's what I'm here to talk about. Dancers doing the stuff they love. Let's dive in. Hi everyone, welcome back to Dancers Doing Stuff. As you can see from this episode description, it is a hefty one, so I'll try to keep the intro pretty quick. Um, The reason it's so long is because there are so many gems and good nuggets of information in this episode. I was re-listening to it and I just really could not cut anything out. Um, I think the only thing I really cut out was the audio from the video clip of Steven dancing, Um, but I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear this episode. Steven is brilliant. Um, Not only is he a great dancer, but now he's a professor, and just the way he speaks about everything is magical. I I don't know, like you might want to get like a paper and a pencil, and I'd love to hear what you guys think about all the things that we talked about. Um, but yeah, so definitely even, even the craft spoiler alert, he was teaching me how to make brown butter, um, toffee cookies, which I unfortunately could not physically make live with him because I was plugged up uh, to my computer setup in the living room. But even just his description, I learned about what brown butter is. I learned so many things. So I kept all of that in there. Usually I cut out the kind of crafting stuff, but even that was just so interesting to listen to because I could listen to him speak about anything. Um, and we could have talked for hours and hours. Um, so yeah, he's just so awesome. I've met him at Smith when I was an undergrad and we also got to dance in the Little Women movie together. So he is just full of amazing information. So I'm really excited to share this with you guys. Definitely let me know what you think. Um, Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. And definitely check out the YouTube version of this video um, at Essentially Haley. I'm trying to get to a thousand subscribers. So it'd be really awesome if you subscribed over there. Um, And then also that way you can see his dance video, and just our silliness. We get a little silly at the end, so it's worth staying till the end. Um, But yeah, let's jump into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Dancers Doing Stuff. I am Haley, um, as you know, and I hope you all are safe and sound mentally. I know this is a very weird, weird time. Um... You know, by the time this goes live on the podcast, we will know who the next president is, hopefully. Um, I hope because this will go live probably in a few weeks, so I hope we know by then. Um, As you can see, I'm not shy about who I support, so if you like Trump, this might not be the show for you, and that's okay. We all have different choices in life. But moving past politics um today i'm very excited to interview my friend steven 
We met um, when I was an undergrad at Smith. He was in the grad program. And then we got to do a really fun job together that I'm sure we'll get into. Um, he is amazing at dancing and he also is a professor at a college now. So I'm really excited to hear kind of how he's dealt with um, COVID and being a professor and all of the challenges that I'm sure that has come with and also um, just his transition into you know being a dancer and how he ended up in the professor role because that is a very coveted and uh, important role for the youths. Please uh, join me in welcoming Stephen. <laughs> You're Hello. here. Hello. You're so far away because we have a very fun craft that we're doing today. Something very different that honestly, I don't know how I'm going to do, but we'll figure it out. This is like, <laughs> I've had a guest teach me a craft before, but this is the first time that like we've ha had a guest teach me something so involved and I'm going to give a little backstory. So like basically, um, over quarantine, you have been exploring a lot of different fun new things to do. Um, and I saw you were making a lot of bread and I was like, oh my God, you have to teach me how to make bread for my show. I don't know how we're going to do it. And then we were like, wait, like this might be too involved. This might have to be like, maybe we have like a round two when it's like we can be together and we'll like pre-record it because I still really want to learn how to make bread. But today we are going to be making cookies. But first, um, I will let you say hello. So hello, welcome. Hi. Um, so I should just like talk about who I am. You already gave me a little introduction about how we met. But, yeah, well, um, I want to yeah. hear, I want to hear the whole story. The whole story. Okay. Um, so dance, right? Like dance is cool. It's something we do. <laughs> it's what sometimes. Um, Theoretically, sometimes we do cool. it. Yeah. <laughs> Theoretically, we do it. Normally, we try. Um, yeah. So I grew up dancing at like a really big competition studio and um I never thought I was good enough to be a professional dancer. I thought the only options available to me existed in like the very commercial realm. And um, not that I wasn't a good dancer, I just like wasn't, I'm not a technician. So I'll like, lead with that information. Um, like I can fake it, I can still do a triple pirouette on both sides. Like I got some skills, but Both like, sides, you know, honestly, I don't oh, know if yeah, I could do that right sides. now. Yeah, but like my leg never gets above 45 degrees. So like on, in any direction, that's kind of an overstatement. But like definitely not to the back. So like I was never gonna like make it in most commercial endeavors just because I'm like super inflexible, can't point my feet and like being a guy only gets me so far. So like, which is a whole other issue that we could talk about in terms of like, you know, that sort of privilege in the field. But um, in any case, I went to school undergrad for um, economics and Italian studies, those are my undergraduate degrees, but um, I was dancing the whole time. And um, I graduated college in 2010, and like, I don't know if you know much about economic history, but like, there was a recession in 2008, and so like, honestly, it saved me for myself. No one was hiring to like, go into finance or business, and so um, I basically had this like, 
low-key triple major where I was dancing like 20 to 30 hours a week, either through the department or through like student groups that I was involved with, which was insane. Like I was just not sleeping and I was doing a million things, which I, I know you do too. Um, yeah. And so finally a dance teacher of mine was like, you know, like she had just gotten an MFA and she was like, maybe you should get an MFA. And so I went straight to grad school, which is not a trajectory I necessarily recommend for everyone, but, um, but it was great because I was able to finally like devote all my time and attention to dance. And um, I really loved, liked being in an educational environment. My parents were both professors once upon a time. And so like I grew up in a, on a college campus and I always thought that maybe that would be somewhere I ended up. I didn't think that I would be combining teaching with dance and then I did. So, um, you know, I, after grad school, um, I lived in New York for about a year and a half. I moved back to Boston where I, I lived for about five years. Um, I produced a lot of work, a lot of my own work. I also worked for a dance space. I ended up running a dance space in Cambridge as well. Um, and kind of through a, a colleague of mine, ended up teaching as an adjunct. And then when she left, I actually ended up getting hired as her one year replacement because she left too late in the season for them to hire, like do a full search for the following academic year. And then during that one year of being her replacement, they decided to keep me. So. I kind of like so landed cool. in a full, yeah, I, I landed into it in, like in this full-time teaching position, like probably about five to 10 years before I thought I would get to that point. Um, and, you know, one thing we were talking about before is like a lot of people see teaching in the collegiate setting as being like the end goal. But what's been exciting for me is that it's opened up opportunities to do other things as well. And so um, I work really hard or I try really hard to kind of keep a balance between teaching and mentoring students and also like finding space and time to have creative projects. So, so cool. And it's, yeah. well, I mean, we'll obviously get into this at some <laughs> yes. point, but, um, one of the cool things that you got to do, which I also was very lucky to get to do was that we both got to dance, um, in the new little women movie together in the same scenes, which is so cool with another friend of mine. It was like, crazy that we all got we all saw each other you know at the audition is crazy that we actually got booked to do the same scene which was just it felt so Wait, perfect who, who else did you know in our in our adrian scene? adrian went to high school oh. with me oh, yeah right. i have to have him that. on okay. as a guest too yeah. and then um the assistant choreographer um to the assistant uh i don't know what his official title was alex, alex. um yeah. i had met alex doing a program at connecticut college the year after i graduated did the david dorfman summer mm -hmm. intensive and that's how i met alex so it was just like all uh, my worlds were coming together so it was really awesome but yeah i don't know i Let's start before we, because we could talk yes. for literally hours. Forever, forever. Let's start with first, tell our amazing audience what we're making today. It looks amazing from what I read briefly, the title of the recipe. <laughs> yeah, so um, this is a recipe from Bon Appetit. It's my favorite. I've made it probably about 50 times during quarantine. My husband's a little bit mad that I'm making this again because we're like turning into slugs or whales, <laughs> depending on how you want to look at it. Um, but they're so, 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 so good. Um, so these are brown butter and toffee chocolate chip cookies by a, a chef named Rick Martinez. Um, and so I, so during quarantine, I got really into like things that have process. And so cooking has been one of those things, baking bread and that sort of thing. And so this is one of my favorite recipes because it has a little bit of a process built into it. You got to do some extra work. So um, we can dive right in. I don't know what yeah. you're going to do because your kitchen is I... not in front of you. No, 
I'm kind of <laughs> plugged into some things. Yeah. I don't have a wireless setup because I, uh, I have only learned so much technology during this quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have multiple supplies here. So I have Heath bars. Perfect. I've got okay. flour. I've got sugar. I've got brown sugar. And I've got chocolate chips. And then okay. I've got eggs and butter in the kitchen sitting out. <laughs> okay, so the first thing we have to do is melt butter. So like, I don't know what you need to do to make that happen, but like, right. I'm gonna get started. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna skip that step. You're gonna skip that step? Okay, all right. For, so, just um, for now, for now. Just for now, okay, yeah. all right. Um, so you have to brown this butter, which is like a whole thing. Okay. Um, yeah, I always okay. I always wonder what brown butter is because I always read it like brown sugar, like as if the no. butter is sweet with brown sugar, and it's just that's not it at all. It's it's not that at all. <laughs> so what you're doing is you're melting it, and then um, you're raising the heat high enough so that it um, essentially cooks off all the milk solids. So it caramelizes essentially. <gasps> yeah. Wow. So like, can you I'm gonna give you a little fried butter. Amazing. Ooh. The more you yeah. know. Have you heard of clarified butter or ghee? Yes, and I don't understand so, it. I'm okay, very pro-dairy, pro-gluten. Like, I eat all <laughs> the things that everyone hates, so I don't understand these newfangled magic things. So while my butter is melting, I'll share yes, that. Yes, like, tell with, me. With ghee and clarified butter, you heat it high enough so that you can like skim off the milk solids. And so it, it removes some of the dairy co component of it and turns it into just like pure fat. Which is why it's like it's like a paleo ingredient. Right. They put it in you put it in like uh coffee, right? It's like Yep, you can do that. Yeah. It's also a common ingredient in Indian food. But with ah. brown butter, you just like keep on cooking it and it just like gets a little crispy and it starts like essentially burning the, the milk solids and it turns it into like the whole cookie tastes like toffee. <gasps> I'm so because excited. Because you're transforming for this. the butter into this like magic, delicious gold. So I'm drooling. There it is. <laughs> oh my gosh, amazing. Okay, so what can I do while I'm not doing that? What's what the next step? What can you do step? while you're not doing that? So <laughs> so the next step after you do that, maybe we should have done this off camera, but like, you know, we're winging it. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Um, it's 2020. Anything goes. It's 2020. Anything is possible. And so I'm a firm advocate for weighing ingredients, but you can use cup measures too. So You're, um, you're really looking. professional with this. Have you always no, been I, this into like baking or was this something that really like sparked during the quarantine? I've, I've always really liked baking and cooking. My mom cooks a lot and my grandmother cooks a lot. So like it's a family thing, but growing up, like my mom just like knew how to make things. So I like, we never followed a recipe. She would just like look at the ingredients and like know what to do. And so like, I always kind of was terrible. Well, that's not true. I would like sometimes luck, have good luck and things would turn out well but I wasn't used to like actually following the ingredients. It was like, you don't need that. We know better. Ah. So, so now that I'm like an adult and I realize that that's like not a rational approach to things. Um, now, and I also like gadgets. So like being able to weigh something is like an extra step that's more gadget inclined versus like just using a cup measure. But um, yeah, so you're gonna mix your flour, baking soda and salt together. Amazing. And so it's two cups of flour or 250 grams. Um, I have these cups, these measuring cups, 
two of them say they're the same size, but they're very clearly not both one fourth cup. So they're very accurate. <laughs> so baking is chemistry. <laughs> and, um, so I'm going to blow up my house with these cookies is what no, you're telling me. No. <laughs> cookies are, are low stakes. You'll be fine. Um, yeah. And then you just put, um, what is it? A teaspoon of baking soda and three quarters of a teaspoon of kosher salt, kosher salt, which I just like approximate because I don't. So what if you like. don't have kosher salt? Because I actually, this is a question that maybe you can answer. Mm -hmm. I yeah. always look for kosher salt because whenever I bake something, it says that that's what I'm supposed to use. Yep. But my grocery store in Washington Heights never has Does kosher salt. Yeah, and you probably so, just have table salt. Yeah, and you're supposed to use like a different amount, I think, right? Mm -hmm. If you have yeah, kosher I salt. So um, kosher salt has a slightly larger grain. This is the best brand. I don't know if you can see it. It's diamond crystal. Oh, yes. Crystal. That's cute. Um, but, um, yeah, and it technically has a – kosher salt has a lower salinity, which means that it has um, a lower amount of sodium. So what's nice about it is that it's more flavorful, and you can use a little bit more of it without over-salting things. Oh, wow. I'm giving so, you another one of these. There we go. But if you just have table salt, just use less. So I would okay. use like between a quarter and a half a teaspoon of kosher salt, and you can eyeball it. It's totally fine. Cool. So once you've put the salt in the baking side, of course, in talking to you, I've like forgotten what I've added. So once you've added those three things, you just whisk them together. And like the general rule of thumb actually is to like whisk it together for like a while. More than you think is necessary in order to like actually incorporate and evenly distribute these things. And meanwhile, can you hear bubbling in the background? I can now. I heard it. I heard can you hear it. That? There you go. Yeah. So the, the butter is essentially boiling. Um, wow. Okay. What does that do to our light? Is that weird? No, I room? love that. That's very oh, okay. spaceship vibes. I just like couldn't see what was on the stove. So <laughs> that was functionally. Um, yeah. And so what you want to do is like you want to bubble this until it starts turning a little bit golden brown. Okay. So I don't know how we're going to get you there, Haley. I know. This might have to be more of a, like, observation. Like, I watch it first, and then I try it later. Like, this is the lecture at college, and you're demonstrating yeah, and then your it. Yeah. And then my homework is to actually, like, apply what I've learned. Yeah. Yeah, so, I love that. So <laughs> connecting that, um, for... Uh -huh. for teaching and everything um what are the classes that you teach at your college also wait so, what's the college that you teach i don't think we said it <laughs> very quick we did it at all um so i'm an assistant professor of dance studies at dean college which is a uh, school about uh 45 minutes south of boston kind of halfway between boston and providence um, i live in providence now um and so being a dance studies professor means that i oversee our programs dance history and dance like choreography composition coursework um, and anytime students are doing research in dance, um, that's not purely performance. Uh, I help out with that. So, um, I'm like super nerdy and like read a lot of theory. So like, it's a good fit for me. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That was the end of your question. It was what I do. What I, I love that. Yeah. So that's awesome. So how many students do you, do you see like as some, it's mm -hmm. obviously semester. semester. So like, 
You, I know you told me that there's about 200 um, students in the, in program, the program at Dean, which is so yeah. amazing. Coming from the eight. program at Smith, I was one of eight dance majors in my year, which yeah. was crazy. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. I, I go to like national dance education uh, conferences through the DEO, and like I'm always talking to people, and they're like, "It's really great if you can find seven students to sign up for choreography classes." And in my case, I'm like, "Well, my challenge is that I have like." 30 students in a, in a composition class. And so like, yeah, so it, it's a big program. Um, I, so I teach every single sophomore, um, like fall and spring. So I teach them in dance history, for example, in the spring and composition in the fall. And so um, I usually have somewhere around 100, 125 students that I'm teaching each semester, um, wow. which is a little crazy, but, um, yeah, so I teach them in their sophomore year when they teach, they take dance history one and comp one, and then I teach a second semester of dance history, and I teach usually comp three. So we have three semesters of composition. Um, I like to teach them like the fundamentals, and then I have, I, I, when possible, I bring someone else in to teach comp two, so they can like learn from someone else. And then comp three, we get weird. We like do experimental stuff and radical stuff just to like go there because a lot of the students in our program are pretty commercially focused, at least when they come in. Right. And so um, a lot of my job is like exposing them to what options are in the field aside from just being a performer. Nice. I love that. So, so for anyone out there, what are some of the, the different things? Because I know a lot of people that I've, I've talked to mostly, you know, performers in the industry so far. So maybe mm -hmm. it would probably be interesting for people to hear what are some other dance-related jobs that you might get to stay in the industry if you don't necessarily want to be a performer? Yeah, so we, we teach actually uh, two semesters in their freshman year where we go over like career pathways and opportunities. Wow, as freshmen, that's amazing. I wish I had yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a two semester, it used to be one, now it's two semesters of essentially a freshman seminar. Um, and it's a really great opportunity to also bring in um, guests who are working in the field in a variety of sectors. Um, one of the biggest programs that our students end up going to um, are dance medicine focused programs. So we have actually, one of the nice things about being in a big dance program is that we have an in-house athletic trainer for dance. So she has like, we have a dance clinic just for dancers it's incredible i'm gonna um, pass out i'm so it's, jealous it's really it's really great have you ever been to harkness Center yes for dance injury? I, it's like I was that. there for two before the pandemic started i was mm -hmm. being seen for both a foot and knee slash my knee was hurting because oh. my hip was hurting so i need all the help i can get so i'm very jealous but harkness was so great harkness is great um and just putting my browned butter now in the fridge to cool while we do other things. Just, oh, I just love to this. Update you. You're the um, true Martha Stewart in this relationship right now. <laughs> I try my best. Um, yeah, so so because we have someone in-house who does dance medicine, a lot of students are inspired by that. And so they'll go into physical therapy or athletic training. Um, not so much like actual medical school. Um, they're a little bit more like practitioner focused in terms of doing hands-on work with dancers. Um, but it's a really great pathway for a lot of our kids. Um, a lot of students do dance therapy. And so they're looking at expressive therapy programs, um, usually working with children who have um, intellectual learning, physical disabilities, um, anywhere on any of those spectrums. Um, and so they're using dance as a way to, um, yeah, give these kids opportunities to express themselves. Um, so that's a really great pathway for students. We have 
a few students, not a ton, but we have a few students who go on to get MFAs um, and perform in the concert dance world, but a lot, a lot of our students too do go into kind of traditional commercial pathways. So we have a lot of kids who are like, you know, moving to New York, yeah. auditioning for things, <laughs> booking cruises and that sort of stuff. So, so many um, cruises. we have a bunch of kids who um, a lot of our students do the Celtics dancers or the Patriots cheerleaders while they're students actually. So wow, um, that's so cool. Um, yeah. Our, our college is over the town over from Foxborough where the Patriot Stadium is so. Oh, that's um, so convenient. That's awesome. They they like having our dancers. So um, we usually have anywhere from two to three, maybe even four, um, a, a season who are um, cheerleaders and dance students at Dean. So it's that um, is so cool. Yeah, it's it's a great opportunity for the kids to see um, kind of how that particular sector works. Um, and yeah, actually the, the, not the head cheerleading coach, but like the assistant to the, the cheerleading coach for the Patriots is also a Dean dance alum. So they do a lot of um, programming with us too. So um, cool. yeah, it's, it's um, but, but in any case, our students, I mean, other things that you could do in the field, right? Like you could go into um, like technical production of performing arts. Like we have kids who do technical theater as well um, and get into stage management, lighting design, stagecraft. Um, we have kids who go into dance writing and so they'll, they'll try to start like, you know, you know, the opportunity to become a dance critic at a major publication is kind of limited right now, but we do have some people who have done internships and, and, um, a couple of positions at dance magazine, um, um, dance spirit, dance teacher magazine, that sort of stuff. So like people are all kind of all over the place. Um, I think, you know, one of my jobs, what I like to instill in students is that like, you know, a lot of people have been told that they have to have a backup plan in dance in case it doesn't work yes. out. And Honestly, that was yeah. literally part of my senior seminar. We had to come up with a plan A, a plan B, and a plan, and a plan C. B. My plan B and plan C both involved the local show uh, where I'm from called the Slut Cracker. That, those were my I backup love the plans. Cracker. Yeah. Do you so, know Vanessa who runs the Slut Cracker? I've, no, I've only seen it one oh. time. And I, I haven't seen it since, but that was my, it was kind of a joke because I was like, if anyone knows me and like me doing something called the slut cracker would be like hilariously ridiculous. So, but that was. Like, I, have a, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for the slut cracker. So the slut cracker is a burlesque production of the nutcracker. It's run it's by wild. Woman, Vanessa White. And um, Vanessa, or sorry, uh, Candy Dish, I believe is her stage name, her Valesa name. She's amazing. I love I it. I'm obsessed with her. I worked with her. Um, I was on, on staff at the dance complex for yeah, a year. Yeah, I was going to um, say, because you, were, you yeah. were in Boston, and I know you were working at the dance complex, and then... Yep. I bumped into you at the mall once, remember that? Yes, when I was an elf. <laughs> You were I, an that elf. was yeah. I was head elf at the mall. Um, oh. the year, yeah, I, I didn't want to like brag no or anything, but I was <laughs> the, the main elf. No, there was there was other great elves that I worked with, and <laughs> Santa Claus. Um, I got to work very closely with Santa Claus, very and he closely. loved uh, brownie bark. The brownie bark. So oh, yeah. for yeah, everyone yeah. out there, it's almost holiday time. Make sure you leave some brownie brittle for <laughs> Santa. But um. Yeah, I we can. De I would definitely want to talk about that also. I mean, like, just kind of like your path after graduating mm -hmm. Smith and kind of <laughs> the. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. after graduating any program or anything, I mean, there's always a lot of transitioning. But I feel like you did a lot of really cool things in the Boston area, and I'd love to yeah, hear I'm like more about that, like middle time in your life. 
Yeah, I, I bounced around a little bit. So I was in New York for about a year and a half. Um, my husband, who's an actor, um, he had been living in New York for a year before I moved down. So he was there for two and a half years. And um, we picked up a bunch of odd jobs. Um, I was teaching at a dance program in Westchester County. And so I was spending like four hours a day on the train going up there to teach, which was actually a really great position. And I networked with a lot of incredible people. Um, but it was hard because it sucked up so much time in, in commuting and it paid well given that, but like I it was is, never really like... in the city and I, I bounced around and my husband was working a full-time job and a part-time job just so we could like pay our rent. So like yeah. I was, I pieced together like seven part-time jobs. He was working a full-time job and a part-time job. And we left New York because like it just got to a point where we were like, working enough to sustain ourselves, but we weren't actually doing the things that we moved to New York to do. Mm. And so we saw opportunity in Boston because we felt like, you know, it's, it's egotistical to say, to frame it like this, but I'll say it like this, that like being a bigger fish in a smaller pond is easier. Um, yeah. and, and we thought that that was gonna be true and it like kind of wasn't. Um, it was a really good learning experience, but it was a really hard time in our lives. Five years in Boston was really draining. Um, there are some really great people in Boston. I'm really glad I met them, but like the the, the industry in, in Boston, I would say, is a little bit of a crisis. It's it, you know, there's a lot of um, I mean, as it is anywhere, and especially yeah. right now, post like in COVID, I post COVID. That's hilarious. <laughs> I know. Um, when will that be? But like, I, we I never. Don't know. This is this is yeah. forever. No, just kidding. <laughs> this is forever. But like you know, like like most places will be. Boston was kind of in that moment anyway. Um, but I, I had a great set of opportunities. I there was a group of artists from Boston that um, we all went to London and performed for a week. Um, actually, the piece that you just showed yeah. from um, we we did a, um, a Chisenhale dance space in East London. It's like oh. a, a small kind of experimental um, kind of like postmodern ish space. Um, oh. And what else? I booked um, a major uh, alert contract. So I booked an equity contract at Trinity Repertory Theater in, in Providence, actually. Um, I, was a, I was a cowboy in Oklahoma. So um, I got my equity card, which was like a big deal oh for me. Oh my gosh, because, like, I didn't realize that you were. Yeah. That is amazing. I mean, yeah. there is. It was a... my one and only contract, but like, you know. No, but there is a lot to say where like, I think it's kind of, you know, a lot of people think it's like New York or LA and like there's no other possible place you can be successful in the arts and that's just not yeah. true at all. I mean obviously the Boston dance scene is like much smaller and like for for myself like there's not as much of like what I'm interested in doing if I want to do, you know, film and TV or like that kind of stuff. But plot twist the uh, yeah, biggest yeah. job I've ever booked was being home in Boston doing Little Women. So it's it's interesting. It's like I think people get really stressed out about having to be in New York City. And like it is really expensive and it is really, really draining. Just physically living here is more exhausting yeah. than... Because you have to interact with so many people all the time. So yeah. it is, you know, it's possible to have a career in the arts anywhere. And anywhere. It, and you yeah. have... you. A lot of, I think, just in New York and anywhere, you have to make it happen for yourself. Like, no one's going to hand you any career in any field, but especially in the arts, no one's just going to hand you your dream jobs. Like, you really have to work for what you want in any aspect of life. So I think you can make it happen wherever you want to be. You know, I, that, it's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think, you know, one thing that I try to instill in my students is that, 
like a big part of being an artist is defining success for yourself. And like, and usually our, our preconceived notions of what success means are like not rooted in reality. And what I've learned in my, in my time on this earth, my like old age, my elderly age, <laughs> now that I'm in my 30s, um, is that 99% um, of opportunities you get are because of personal connections that you have. And um, which, which sounds like it's like, oh, all this is for nothing if it's just about who you know, but it's less about who you know and more about how you interact with them. And I would yes. say like every great opportunity I've had has been because I've like forged a positive relationship with someone and I haven't been too needy or asked too much of them, but they know that I'm a reliable person. Like Little Women I think was part of that, like the, the opportunity that I had with that. Monica Bill Barnes who choreographed it set a piece while I was at Smith, while you were abroad actually. Yes, and, I um, missed that, I was so I know. bummed. So I did I have a great time in London though. I, of course you did. Um, <laughs> And and I had known Alex, who was one of one of her assistants on the on the shoot. And um, not that I didn't necessarily like earn that audition, because I think we all did. But like you know, it helped to have a, an established relationship that like they knew that I wasn't gonna like yeah. flake or be shady or anything like and, that. Like you and, weren't like, going in like blind. Like they knew it's true. Like it's a lot of. I mean, most jobs that I know that people have gotten, it's like they know them through someone or they know them through even class or like you know it, it's I think it's very rare to book a very big job I mean they didn't know me but Alex knew me so I don't know I mean I don't mm -hmm. think he probably had much to say but like you know it is it's really hard to just book something blind without having any sort of connection or networking so that is I think that's it almost also a, never happens yeah that's the thing. it rarely like, happens going to an open call for a Broadway show like that's going to be pretty rare if you are going to book that that show just yeah. from like showing up at 6 a.m. So well, and what I'd say too is that like I think a big part of navigating this in the industry is like learning how to trust people and learning who to trust. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a big learning curve for me. Was like I got some cool opportunities. Like I like in in between years that I was at Smith, I got to perform in South Africa which was a really amazing opportunity. It was with the professor actually who told me to go to grad school. She was, um, her, her thesis piece, her project from her graduate program, which was like an hour long, got accepted to a dance festival in Cape Town. And so I got to go with them. And overall it was a positive experience, but it turned out through that experience that we didn't have the best relationship. Um, I still talk to her once in a while, but like, you know, it was a challenging time. And, you know, I think through that process, I think both of us would probably say like, yeah, maybe we won't work together again, you know, but like if, if I had like thought about that a little bit more before doing it, like I think the, I was blinded by the opportunity and I'm glad I did it. I don't regret it at all. But like it was one of these moments where, I, where afterwards I was like, you know, maybe I need to be a little bit more mindful about what I sign up for <laughs> um, and, um, you know, like have a better awareness, self-awareness mm. about like what types of relationships I'm forging around me. So, you know, that sounds like I'm calling someone out because it's really not no, like that. No. It's just like sometimes you're, it's not right to work with everyone. You know, yes. like you don't have to get along with everyone. That so. is something that I am definitely learning and especially I think that's become really clear in quarantine just in general of like, who are your people and your people don't have to be and can't be everyone and Correct. like that is something that has been so clear during this whole situation and and also i've been going through the artist way um and uh -huh. one of the 
the things that I read, I don't know if it was this week or last week, um, and one of the, the quotes from it was like, you know, obviously saying no to someone else is saying yes to yourself. And like, yeah. you have to have boundaries oh and like, oh you have to know, yeah. like, I I also get stuck. Like, I mean, in, at Smith, I would be in like 15 different dances at one time, <laughs> learning yeah. fit, at different schools. I would travel to different yeah. schools because I just, uh-huh. I was hungry to dance and I wanted to move, but I definitely did not do all of those things at a hundred percent plus doing all my regular smith classes which are already intense enough which so are hard yeah it was like i hear you you know it's it's like you want to be doing everything and you want to you know it's it's so hard because it's like especially if you really love what you're doing and you're like hungry to dance and hungry to move and hungry to be in the industry but like are you really doing it to your full capacity if you're saying yes yeah. to everything and and are you going to actually possibly not have a great relationship with someone at the end of the day if it's, you know, it's not right and it wasn't the, the right timing or the right, oppor- like, it wasn't really for you and, like, it might have yeah. messed something up. So I think that's definitely something that, I, unfortunately, I think it comes with age and experience. Like, maybe everyone has to experience that and go through it in order to believe it, well, but... <laughs> so I will just interject and say, first of all, I think we're both being really diplomatic in <laughs> communicating this and being yes. nice. Um, I think we've probably both experienced where like we say yes to everything and we get abused by people. And I think when you say yes to everything, you actually devalue yourself, right? People mm-hmm. expect you to essentially have no worth because you give yourself away to everyone. Wow. And I think, and, I, and what I would say too, is that we're conditioned to do that. We're told that in the arts, because there's no money anywhere, you have to say yes to everything in case one of those things pans out. And I, I just that, that exact same thought, like if you say yes to everything, people get used to having to not pay you and not have to actually value you for what you're worth. And um, we end up saying yes to everything and things that we shouldn't. And like in this particular moment, politically speaking, when like we're having a reckoning about like, you know, the centering of male voices, the centering of white voices, like I've said yes to jobs teaching hip hop that I had no reason or like expertise to say yes to, but because I was there and I said yes to everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like people knew me and I was like, well, like I have some background in this, like I could teach it, but like, I'm not the best person to do this. Mm -hmm. And like, I think I, I got to a certain point in my career where I was like, I need to stop saying that I can do everything because when you yeah. do everything, you're really doing nothing. Right. Like I think, mm-hmm. and, and letting go of that was a really important step for me. It was like, Oh, like, yeah, I can teach tap, but I don't have to teach tap. And like, <laughs> I, I haven't taken a tap class since I was actually um, at Smith. Like I took um, Josh Hilberman taught a class at, at Mount Holyoke and he's an amazing tap legend, but like, yes, I can teach, but like, I'm not a professional tapper. It's not what I do. And so like, you know, I think I've gotten to a point where I have to like move on from that feeling where you have to say yes to everything and be desperate for it. So, and it, (laughs) I think also with that, it's like when you say no to things, you're actually elevating the entire industry because it leaves space for actual experts to come in and fill those spots. And there so, it is. And it's also, especially, I mean, with the pay thing, we could talk forever about that. And that's something I think is really hard because we don't, you know. Oh, yeah. You missed Sorry. that. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
I forgot we're making cookies. We're making cookies. I forgot we're making cookies. No, um, but also it's like that's another thing where it's like I think one of the reasons why like dance education is so important is because if we don't learn the proper pay and because like you can't just join a union like you can in in England you can you just join equity you don't have to like book a job to get it so it's like if we don't have the proper education and a standard of rates and which you know Dancers Alliance I've talked about this with other people it's like you know, but there's always someone like ready to do it for free or ready to do it for a hundred bucks when it should be a five hundred to seven hundred dollar job for the day or something like that. Like those are all things like it's hard when we all have to kind of say no to things to elevate the entire craft so that it can be better for everyone ultimately over time. And that is like such a hard thing to get people on board with. <laughs> So and, I don't know. You know. I think one of the challenges too, and I face this because I, you know, I run two small dance projects. One of which is the duet project that you saw, you showed a video from. It was from one colleague from grad school, actually. And then I also run a, a small uh, dance company that's kind of on a hiatus right now, but with um, Stephanie and Rebecca, also from Smith, yeah. called Reject Dance Theater. And you know, we don't have unlimited resources. We don't have a ton of funding. But what we do actually do is we give our dancers opportunities to choreograph and we'll like, it's a collaborative process. And as much as we don't have the funds to like really support them financially, we do see it as our responsibility to at least we pay them something, but then we also provide opportunities for them. So yeah. like, and, and you know, like Bridget Cronin actually dances with us. I don't, you know yeah. Bridget, right? Okay, so, so Bridget's danced with us several times and like, you know, I was talking to her about this, she choreographed piece for the company back and she was just like, no, like obviously like there are other opportunities that might be more, but like it's helpful to be an environment of artists who support each other. And I think that was like the biggest compliment anyone told us was that like we were at least providing that opportunity. Whereas like a lot of people who run companies do it themselves, right? Like they do this because it elevates their own personal name. And so one thing that was important to Steph and Rebecca and I was like, if we're gonna have a company it helps us all create a portfolio of work together. Maybe we get some recognition, maybe not. But at the end of the day, like it's not named after any of us, right? Like it's about the collaborative process. And I think, you know, especially in an industry that can't necessarily pay any bit, um, you know, you might as well if you're going to be spending your time or volunteering your time, donating your time, it needs to be worthwhile. You need to be doing with people who are like supporting you, uplifting you, and who are going to be those people later on who will opportunities for you yeah and maybe that yeah it's it's definitely you have to weigh all the different factors and like maybe a situation is actually emotionally paying you in a way that's valuable and teaching you and you have to be able to recognize those opportunities obviously not everything in life is going to be a monetized um like there's value that's not money so it's finding those opportunities as well, which I think is really important. And I also want to share a little thing in the comments. We have Erica, and she just uh, wanted to say Erica. hi. And she says, hi, I took Erica. Lester's Globalization of Dance course at Smith with Stephen and was yeah, 
and was always so impressed by his intelligence. It's nice to see him again. And she sent a heart. So I just wanted to read that oh, to you. <laughs> that's super sweet. Oh, Erica. I remember Erica. Of and Erica just Erica. had the cutest little baby. So shout out to oh. Erica and Ollie. <laughs> oh, congratulations. She that's had a incredible. pandemic baby, which is a feat. Wow. <laughs> well, I can, I can share too. Um, one thing in my pandemic process is that my husband are waiting and I are waiting for adoption placement. So we're like, one thing that I've been spending my pandemic time doing is setting up a nursery in the other room. So oh my like, gosh. Yeah, oh my gosh. It's kind I'm of, so excited. It's, it's a wild time to be waiting for a baby. But wow. Kind of but um, yeah, it's a little nuts. Oh my goodness. Well, right. while you blend that, I'm going to get our first game going so that way we can okay. do that and you feel free to blend to your heart's content that you need to because obviously i'm slacking in the in the cookie making process it's okay i, I can give us an update on where we're at while you're yes. doing whatever okay. you're doing. Perfect. so as i start eating the, the, the i'm about to the, just eat this delicious. bar honestly do it Dream. So um, I creamed the brown booger, brown, brown booger, wow, brown butter <laughs> and sugar. Halloween and is added, over. Added, we don't want booger cookies. I, <laughs> um, I added eggs and vanilla. It's a super simple recipe, but it's delicious because you're caramelizing everything. And so I added the dry ingredients, and now I just have to add some toffee and some chocolate chips. And one thing that I, so this is, you could use Heath bars, you could use score bars. I have um, Heath chips. And a bunch of chocolate chips. I'll just use all of them. <laughs> and um, you could use left. You could use leftover Halloween candy. Um, that's always going to be delicious. If you can't find Heath bars, you don't have to add them. They add some like rich buttery toffiness, but like because of the brown butter, you kind of don't need it because it's like caramelized and toffee-ish already. But if you do have it, it's even better. So um, yeah. So that's where we're at. I'm just mixing in. Mm, the delicious amazing. pieces and then I'll put them on a cookie sheet and throw them in the oven and we can party well while you mix we're gonna play <laughs> would you rather okay so I love this game I say this every time but because so much of the point of this show I mean I know we've mostly talked about dance but we've talked about important things that I think are interesting and also like unrelated to like actually dancing um mm -hmm. the whole point of this show is to get to know people as people and dancers as people and celebrate that we are humans outside of dance um and i think that would you rather is a really quick way to see how people's brain works so i love just <laughs> seeing what people think of these silly questions from this the honestly the best secret santa gift i've ever gotten at a, ho a holiday party so all right. Would you I rather? Wait. Oh wait, no, this one has already been done. What happened? Oh, these are are these upside down? I swear I mixed them up so that way I wouldn't get repeats. Oh, okay. Here we go. Would you rather? Would you rather be chased by a supervillain for the rest of your life? Or burp once every 30 seconds for all eternity? Um, I would burp every 30 seconds. Wow. I, I have a backstory for that, but like, I don't know how gross you want to So I've had two stomach surgeries in my life because um, I had chronic acid reflux. 
GERD is what it's called, gastroesophageal reflux disease. Um, and so there's this surgery where if it's bad enough, which in my case it was, like it was like I was I had acid damage to the, my rear molars. And this is like when I was 21, I was young. Like most people who get the surgery are like in their 40s or 50s. And so, oh so I had the stomach surgery. was literally eating the rest of your body. Basically, yeah. Um, so I, um, yeah, I had the surgery when I was 21, two days after my 21st birthday, which is like a really great gift, you know, to have oh, stomach surgery. But um, sorry, this is a whole story you didn't ask for. No, but, I want to um, know about you as a person. Um, I want to know you, the true you, stomach and all. Um, yeah, so um, part of the side of it's, it's a really effective surgery that unfortunately for me failed after 10 years and I had to have it redone this past year. Um, but one of the side effects is that some people can't burp at all. <laughs> so I'm lucky enough to be able to burp. And so I choose that answer because for me, it's a celebration of the fact that like, there it is, that I can burp. So for me, it's just like showing off how skilled I am. <laughs> wow, who would have known this random question? Yeah. Okay, next, would you rather? Would okay. you rather have to wear an itchy sweater every day forever or have visible farts? <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I would rather have visible farts. <laughs> wow. Because I feel like at least it's like a conversation starter. <laughs> Hopefully it's like a pretty color or something. It's not like, yeah. like a an evil face that comes out or something. I don't know what it would be. Well, like, and also there's no, like, information there about whether or not they're smelly. And so I feel like it could just be your thing. Like a little poof <laughs> of know. color. A little, just a little poof, yeah. <laughs> okay, so last. I, just did, I salted oh, yeah. the cookie dough. I, I put flaky sea salt on it, and now I'm putting it in the oven. Oh, my God, amazing. And not burning myself. That's a skill, honestly. That's a skill. <laughs> I'm burning myself. Go ahead. <laughs> Okay, last one. Would you rather live alone on the moon or have scissors for hands? Hmm. Sorry, I just took a huge bite of cookie dough. I'm really <laughs> Probably jealous. Sounds really gross. <laughs> it's really good. Um, hmm. Alone on the moon forever or scissors for hands? You know, like that seems like the obvious answer would be alone on the moon forever, but I feel like I'd have to go with scissors for hands because I'm like way too much of a social person. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very fortunate to be married and to have a dog and to have space around me. And so quarantine actually for me hasn't been that bad because it's been an opportunity to say no to things and to stay home and to just like be with my husband and my parents live around the corner and like I have family time. So yeah, I need people. I can't be alone. Yeah. I love that. Well, that brings us to our next segment. Um, we've kind of, I mean, obviously we've been kind of been talking about everything, which like I could talk to you literally for hours because I just think you're Same. so smart. And also I miss you and I haven't actually gotten to talk to you. We've only been connecting through liking Instagram, each other's stuff right? on Instagram. <laughs> like the last time I physically saw you was when we were filming Little Women, which was mm -hmm. so crazy that like, oh my gosh. It was two what, years ago. What a dream. It's crazy how long ago we shot it and then how long we had to wait for it to come out. And then now it's like been out and 
we got our first residual tech, which was very yeah, exciting. Um, but yeah, so I'd love to talk just a little bit more about like your passions outside of dance. We've obviously yeah. talked a little bit about that, but just like some of the stuff that you find solace in as a human being, because I know we both are big believers that like being a this is getting so intimate um of course like we both we obviously both are big believers that um you know being a full human is actually very beneficial to your artistic life as well so i'd love to hear some of your other passions so as i think i alluded to earlier like i'm addicted to things that involve a process which is not necessarily surprising that as like i'm predominantly see myself as a choreographer that like i like a creative process and so um so i grew up knitting my mom is an avid knitter and so like once in a while i don't do it consistently but like i'll get really into it and like i can whip out a pair of socks with like a really fine gauge in like two days i'm like obsessive with it if i dive into it i dive deep and so, like, I started knitting when I was, like, five years old. I, like, I'm a low-key fiber artist You're on the like side. You're, like, a prodigy. When I apply for it. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I can make, like, two things, and I do it, like, obsessively. Um, but what I like about knitting is that there's, like, a tactile component to it, and, like, it's mm. very therapeutic. So I like that, but I've also been crafting around the house and doing some DIY stuff. Um I, I have some garage space here and so I like built a workbench in there with like a pegboard and organization and I have power tools and like it's been fun um this week actually my husband and I um did a curtain project where we bought these curtains that have a really great pattern but they had grommets on the top and they were really ugly and so we cut the top of them off and like created a different hanging system and hung them all like I had a sewing machine out here it was all fabricy. um and then I love that Apologies um, for anyone who can hear me chewing. If this is ASMR, maybe not. Maybe you hate <laughs> chewing. I can't stop eating these Heath bars. They're so good, right? And that's they are. I, I haven't about. had one in so long. So they're so perfect. Um, what I will say to save me from myself, but also to like stretch out how much I get to eat in terms of cookies and for how long. Because if I make all the cookies, if I bake them, I'll eat them all in 24 hours. Because I'm like, you know what? It's, it's better for me if I just binge and then I won't have them anymore. <laughs> like Halloween candy, I'm going to eat it all in one night and it's going to be horrible. But like the next day I can and have a gone. salad. Yeah. <laughs> and it's right? um, but what I do is I only make as much as I can bake at once and then I freeze the rest. Um, yeah. Because I can make like, you know, I, 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 how many do I have in there? I have like 16 in there that are like pretty big, but I have like a whole like quart size takeout container um that i froze that's just like leftover and my neighbors across the street actually they're awesome um one of them was telling me that when they make cookies they just put the dough in a log and freeze it so they can have their own slice and bake and so it forces them to just cook one at a time in any case that was a question dropping gems you are (sighs) dropping genius moments for people well because like who doesn't want to have like like you like it's the middle of the night, like you're hungry, you want a snack, but like suddenly you realize that you have like enough for like maybe only two or three, but two or three like really good cookies in your freezer and you just like whip it out and bake it or eat it raw because it's delicious. So I support that. That's, That's genius. Um, what was your question about like what I've been doing during Yeah, just like passions right? outside Creative of dance. I guess like things that like help you <clears throat> recenter yourself and like you know make sure that you're okay 
Yeah. Um, I was talking to some people the other day about like what's weird about this. Well, so I've like been to, to our previous conversation about saying yes to too many things. Like I was already in the beginning stages of like decluttering my life of things that I had said yes to when quarantine happened. And so it's been excuse, been a good excuse to like expedite that process. Um, but what's been weird about it is that like, I kind of don't miss dance, which is a weird thing to say. Mm. Um, like it's been, an, it's been a very productive break from dance. Yeah. Um, and I've been so busy too teaching over the last five years in my faculty appointment that like I felt a lot of guilt about not dancing more during that time and now that I can't dance I realize that I don't miss it as much and so I think it doesn't mean that I don't want to dance when this is over but I think it's been inspiring in that I now know that I have to be like much more intentional about how I spend my time dancing and who I say yes to again to our previous conversation and like you know, the company I run with Steph and Rebecca, who you both know, um, you both know, you know both of them. Sorry. <laughs> and they You're both wondering. know me. <laughs> Am I one person or <laughs> I might have multiple personalities. Well, <laughs> it's a topic for another day. <laughs> um, I, we've been dormant for a few years, basically since I got my faculty appointment. I haven't had enough time to like really invest in it. And they've had other stuff going on too. But like, I think we're going to start doing stuff again, which is exciting. And like, you know, I think we don't we all have like very different careers at this point and we collaborated on this dance company together after grad school but i think you know like do you know do you know danny swain from the boston area he was on staff at the dance complex with me when i was working there he's he like teaches picture maybe i'm better at like seeing people's faces than knowing their names (laughs) so i remember like i was feeling a lot of pressure because it was like Reject Dance Theater's fourth season. And I was like, oh, next year's the fifth year. And like, I don't know if I have the capacity to do this. And this is when I got that LORT contract working in musical theater and got my equity card. And I was like diving into a 10 week rehearsal process with that. And um, he was just like, you can have your fifth season like 20 years from now. It doesn't have to be fifth consecutive season. Like you can take breaks and just like do what you want. And so I've kept that in the the back of my mind this whole time in terms of like, yeah, we never really had a fifth season. But like, we could have one next year, right? Like, it kind of doesn't matter. You can define that for yourself. And like, I've also always firmly believed that like, we create our own histories. I'm not saying we invent our resumes, but like, we all have been there where we sit down and we write our bio and we choose to make things sound as important as we want them to. Um, And so I think that's a good reminder to like, like you have the opportunity to like, figure out what's important to you and you can make it as important as it is. As, a, as an aside, talking about bios, one of my mentors and dance professors from college um, always says that, like, you can tell how important someone is by how short their bio is. She's like, the Queen of England, she doesn't need a bio. It just says Elizabeth, Queen, period. Right? Literally. So, like, when you see people who have these, like, paragraphs and paragraphs of bios, like, you don't need it. Right? Like, yeah. If you're really that important, you wouldn't have to tell us. And like, that's not me calling people out on it, but like, and like, we all feel pressure because we're told we have to do those things. But like, right. it's like, who decided? Who decided? That's the thing, also. It's like, ev- like, more than any time in the world, it's very clear that we just made all this up. Like, nothing is real. We're all just, like, animals. Nothing is real. (laughs) Nothing is real. We're just animals, and we all made this up, and we get so stressed out about these, like, 
social structures and social norms and like industry standards and all of these things which obviously like there are reasons that these things exist but also at the end of the day like we made it all up so if it's really stressing you out and like not working for you and like the path that is like most common and most followed is making you miserable as a human you don't have to walk down that path there are many other paths and you just need to find yours and like I say that and it's like obviously it's harder to take that advice than to say it like everyone knows that but it's like it really is true like you don't just have to do what everyone thinks you have to do there are so many ways and of course like you said even earlier about like defining success for yourself it's like you get to decide if you are successful if you are happy like everyone has a different version of success and like fame isn't always success making a ton of money isn't always success like there's so many ways to be successful in the arts and just in life in general and as a human and like I think hopefully this time has been a great opportunity where like we don't really have so many distractions and things that we have to do or can do even that you can actually take the time to figure out like well who am I like what is the whole what do I like what do I believe in are those the cookies those are the cookies I had to check them I made them kind of big so they might not be right oh yeah they're enormous (laughs) amazing I'm so jealous that I'm so jealous well, that they're this, there. Well, this rap is not actually hard, so once we're done, you should actually make them. I will, um, I will. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, but to your point, um, wait, I got distracted by cookies. Um, yeah, in terms of defining success, I think, and like, oh, ah, I found it. Sorry, I found it in my brain. Um, <laughs> to your earlier point, like at the very start of this was like educating the whole person and like being a complete person. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like if, if you've dedicated yourself to like fitting a mold in an industry, then like you fit yourself into a mold and you're no longer yourself. And um, honestly, I think the most interesting people that I've met in this field are people who've had really big obstacles in their way, whether it's a physical limitation or a financial limitation or like trauma, life events, anything, because they've had something to overcome and that process teaches them more about who they are. Whereas the people I know who are the most lost, like personally lost, are the people who like can do everything because they can be so like versatile and fit into so many different boxes. They haven't figured out what their box is yet. That's not true of every single person, but I feel like the people in my life who are like exceptionally more technical and exceptionally more virtuosic in their physicality oftentimes have a much harder time finding out who they are because they haven't had that pushback about what they can't do in order to like make them value what they want and need. So um, yeah, I think this is a really important opportunity. One thing I always tell my students is like, I didn't go into dance because I didn't think I was good enough. And then the economy crashed when I was in college. And actually I studied abroad and I was super depressed. I was living in Italy. It was an amazing opportunity, but I wasn't able to dance for four months. And I didn't think, because I wasn't a dance major, I wasn't gonna go into this field. I didn't think that would matter. And then I got there and I was the most depressed I've ever been in my life. I was so miserable. And coming back from there and realizing that I needed that to be happy was a super, 
like important milestone in my life. I don't know how I didn't mention that. That's weird. Um, but like what I've been telling all my students is like, this is kind of like everyone's opportunity to have Steven's depressing semester abroad. Like you're forced <laughs> to get away from it. And like, it forces you to reevaluate what you like and what you can discard. So yeah. <laughs> um, Mic drop. Yeah. That was amazing. No, seriously. I, it's, oh, it's just, there's so much, there's so much going on in the world. There's so much, there's so much potential and there's so much that can happen. But I think ultimately like what I've learned in all my years, (laughs) all my years, years. um, (laughs) is that like, it really is like, I say this all the time, but the most, the people that I know who are the most like, the people that I look up to and I look up to people, obviously not just Mm. talent. There's also like, how you act as a person and also like what lives do you aspire to be because like you can aspire to have a certain type of career but like at the end of the day your job is your job and like do you like the person when they're not performing or when like do you like their life as a human do you want their full life because you don't just get to be like a dancer and then you like unplug and you're just like "Hmm," unless you're like literally a robot but like right these performers, they have lives, they have schedules, they have all these different things. And it's like, you have to look at the whole person to determine like what you want, how you want to live your life. And it's not just your career. And I know it's hard with dance because I think we are our instrument, like our bodies are physically our instruments. So that's also really hard where like, you literally can't like leave your work at work because you walk out in your work, in your body. And so it's like, it's so personally connected to us. So it's like, of course you have to like really take care of your inner self, your health and your mental health and your full life. If you want to be happy in your career also, like it just, it goes hand in hand, but it's something that I think is so commonly like cut off and we don't really have, I don't know if it's really like taught like that. Like I know like when when you're learning dance, you learn steps. You learn, um, you know, that. And like I think lately there's been more like programs and like teachers who like mentor people and teach kind of like the whole package, which is really great. But I think that that needs to start from a younger age. And I mean, I think that's just in general, at least our country needs to teach about mental health and taking care of yourself in all aspects and like, it's very clear we don't really know what well, we're doing. <laughs> what, what I'd say, particularly in the dance industry, I think one of the challenges in our field is that people assume that if they're good technicians, and we talked about this earlier, if, they've, if they're good technicians or they've been successful, that they're good teachers. And not everyone's a good teacher. And I, honestly, one of the things that I really love about the program I teach in at Dean is that we're aware of the fact that we're a large program with a lot of students who come from the local area. And a lot of those kids, after they graduate, go back and teach at their home studios, or they teach at other studios in the region. And a lot of dance programs don't invest in that feedback loop. Like you can influence the students who are going to apply to your dance program in the future. If you make your students better teachers who will then teach students to be better and whole people, right? Um, Who will then advertise your program for you. And so Mm -hmm. like what I really love about Dean's program is that we've really invested in dance pedagogy and like students have two semesters of it if they go into the teaching track which is really great and um 
you know, we have a lot of amazing students who come our way because their teachers were our students as well. And, you know, whereas a lot of programs, especially the more elite programs, and I won't say any names, um, or elite institutions that have mm. dance programs, look down on people who go back into teaching dance because they feel like, oh, you should be this like avant-garde performer or choreographer. Um, whereas like, like teaching is a skill. And just because you're a good dancer and just because you're a good choreographer does not mean you're good at teaching. Most yeah. people are not. And that doesn't mean that like you can't be a good teacher. It's just, it's, it's a whole separate process that you have to invest in. And you have to actually separate your own ego from the scenario when you're teaching. Like you're like, you know, I have taught in a lot of different settings. Like I've taught little kids, I've taught adults, I've taught college students. And like people are vulnerable when they're dancing. And when you're teaching kids, you're teaching kids who are probably spending more time with you than they are with their families. And so you have a huge impact on their worldview and like how they treat other people and dance is a social activity. And so like you're monitoring how they're interacting with other and learning how to like build trust with people, both emotionally and physically. And the fact that our field doesn't seem to care about pedagogical skills is crazy. It's really, really, really crazy. crazy. And we talked about this before in terms of like in the commercial industry, like, you know, a lot of the, like the best case scenario is you go to a commercial dance class and like you get in someone's YouTube video and like not that that's a bad thing, but like, did you really show up and take class or did you yeah. just show up and maybe wave in the background of someone else's video? Yeah. And, again, and why like, are you that's... taking class also is another thing. Like, are you taking class to like perform and get seen or are you taking class to learn? And I think that that's learn. also something that, you have to really find the te sometimes the most popular teachers like obviously i have a lot of friends who are teachers and like i have friends who are really great teachers but also like sometimes the most popular teachers are not actually the best teachers they're just popular and like sometimes the teachers who can actually really really teach you something have no following and no one knows yeah. who they are so it's like you really have to take your dance education into your own hands and really research what is why are you, what are you spending your money on are you spending your money on the opportunity to like potentially be in a group and maybe get videoed for youtube or are you taking class to learn are you taking class to show off or are you taking class to learn like those are some things that like you really have to do some soul searching and i think when you're in the swing of it and you're just going, 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 it's really easy to forget about like, why are you taking class? Are you taking class because you feel like you need to take class because you need people to see that you're there and that if you're there, that means you're a real dancer. If you take a break from dance, you're not a real dancer. And like, you know, it's like, it's so much. And now that that's kind of been removed, like we can take class in our living room on Zoom, but still in New York, like we can't really go into studios unless you're in an after school kids program, which is open yeah. somehow but like it's really a great opportunity i hope people are taking it to really like just like we said was saying yes to everything like really home edit watch that netflix show and then apply it to your dance career as well like well well listen <laughs> like I, I i think you know i will backtrack a little bit and say that like i think we just need to see these opportunities as different Right. And maybe in this day and age, in terms of like how dancers put themselves in social media, like it's maybe necessary to go to classes like that where you get seen and you have that exposure. But I think you can't only do that. Right. Like you need to invest in your own professional development. 
And like in any other field, right? Like if you work in the corporate world, you have to like do some professional development. Maybe that means you have to get licensure along the way. But like, I think we forget that as performers, we assume that like showing up is enough, but like doesn't really feed you or fuel you or like keep you in good shape either. So, you know, you have to like prioritize what's gonna keep you going, right? Like emotionally, physically, energetically. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I think... Um, See, obviously we I, don't have all the answers. No one does, oh. but like, I don't know. I think these conversations are really important to have and just to like think about and take a step back and it's obviously also easier said than done all of these things. Cause like, do I follow all these things? No, not no. always. But like, it's so great to just think about. And I see. <gasps> giant cookie. Oh, it's really good. My goodness. That looks so professional. And that honestly is the perfect transition because it's time for, let me put our little. Questions. You're listening to me too. Okay. I love it. And this is actually an ASMR show, exclusively mm. ASMR. Um, okay, so I have okay. these questions mostly from the internet. Is this okay. giving you the tingles? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have these questions that are mostly from a website of questions to ask your dad, um, which <laughs> they had some fun questions on there. So I'm going to randomly pick one from each. They're loosely color coordinated okay. and some of them are deep some of them are kind of funny and if any of them are too deep which none of them are really super deep but you can always pass so don't feel I pressure i love it i mean we talked acid we talked farts we talked cookies okay <laughs> Those are the three topics, you know, of the life. Three topics, and farts, <laughs> That's a, the pillars. Sorry, I, I, I wouldn't chew on, on camera I literally can't even but these are, I can't these even are hear so good. And I was eating a full-on Heath bar, so don't <laughs> <laughs> I need to make, like, a super cut of, like, all the times I've been eating on this show. Because, like, I was eating Skittles one time. I started choking. I've eaten so many things. So... <laughs> Pick a color, any color. Mm, blue. All right. Who is your partner in crime? This could be an easy question, maybe. <laughs> so, like, the easy answer would be my husband. But, like, actually, it's my friend Sarah, who's, like, my best friend from college. And we became friends because we hated the same people. And um, we used to, like, oh, no, we're, we're awful. Sorry, I'll stop talking about terrible <laughs> life stories. We once showed up to a, a friend's birthday party, a friend, we didn't like her, and we, we, this is in college, and we stole alcohol from her birthday party and then left. The tea is being spilled. This is I'm drama. a terrible person. No, yeah, it's okay. I, moment of self-reflection of how terrible I was in college. Ugh, yikes. It happens, but you've learned and grown from it, so it's okay. I have. <laughs> I'm a much better person now, I promise. Pick a color. Wait, is that purple, pink, and orange? Yes. Okay. Um, pink. And for me, it's blue, yellow, and green because there are different colors on the other side. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so it's a game for me too. Um, okay, what is one thing you are deeply proud of in your life? My proudest accomplishment is my, my I want to say my first year teaching full-time at Dean. Um, 
I kind of just discovered that one of my students was like really, really brilliant. Like she was super quiet in the back of class and never participated. And then she wrote these really, really intelligent, great papers. And she was really active on, on campus um, in the student dance scene, but not in the department dance scene. And like I convinced her to apply to grad school for dance. And she got into OSU, which is one of the top MFA programs straight out of undergrad. Like she, like I had this, I like called her into my office and I was like, you have to go to grad school. Like you're brilliant. You're really, really smart and your work is good. And like, she emailed me the next day and she was like, I've decided that grad school is for me. <laughs> and like, it was super cute and earnest. And she's just like a wonderful, brilliant artist. And I'm so proud of her. Um, and I just like, I feel really lucky that I was able to be in that opportunity to like show her that she had the potential to do that. And like, I don't take credit at all for her journey, but like, I feel like it was like my, my most meaningful moment in education was like discovering that someone really needed to do this with their life and they did it and they are doing well. So that's what I'm most proud of. And I, I'm so excited because you're going to have so many stories like that. Like you're, I don't know, like teachers are so important. And like now that you have this, like you're going to have such a role and such like a, you know, like you're like helping the future generations of dance and i think that that's you're gonna have so many stories like i'm so excited that you're in this position because i think that you're brilliant and so i'm excited <laughs> to see like your influence on people going out into the dance world that's like such a powerful opportunity so that's really awesome it's been fun to see like like i don't want all my students to make work that looks like mine but it's been fun to like show them what I do and teach them how I approach it and then see what they do with it. Like, it's been really interesting actually to see what comes out of that because, um, yeah, the, the quality of work that's come up now um, has been really fascinating because kids have like the momentum to do cool stuff. So um, mm. yeah, anyway, next question. Um, purple, whatever color that is for you. Blue. Ooh. Who has been your biggest influence? my biggest influence i can answer that in a couple of ways like professional crushes like people whose career i love versus mm -hmm. like any mentors who have impacted my career enough so i'll answer it both ways so my i have two professional like obsessions one is doug elkins who created the piece Fraulein Maria, which is this brilliant modern dance reconstruction of the sound of music which is my favorite musical of all time um and he's just like so smart and cool. Um, and the other um, is Alexander Ekman, who's a Scandinavian choreographer. And he does a lot of like contemporary ballet work. Um, if you haven't seen his production of Swan Lake, it's like mind blowing. Um, and he has this piece called Cacti that he's set on the Boston Ballet that I've seen a few times. Um, he's just so smart and playful and whimsical, but his dancing is like really good. And he just like creates worlds. So those are my like professional crushes that I'm obsessed with. Um, my biggest influence in terms of like someone who's mentored me and provided me like a huge amount of support, um, especially in applying for faculty positions is Lester Tomei from Smith. Lester! Lester, who's like one of the most like in my career, like he's been one of the most like solid support supports in my life. Like I actually haven't talked to him in a while and I should reach out to I him and tell him that. I know. 
he Maybe wrote I'll interview him. Uh, that would be. He should. He's I would hilarious. be so nervous. I, I love Lester. <laughs> I I love Lester. He is just like a really wonderful person, and he wrote recommendations. Like when I was I was up for a different faculty appointment right when I moved to Boston. Actually, I was, it was like two years out of grad school, and it was too soon. Um, it would have been great if I got it, but like it was too soon. Um, but he like. He wrote me a recommendation and then they called him because he was a reference. And then he like, he brought me up for coffee and was like, here's what they asked me. Here's how I would like answer questions if they ask you about certain things. Like he totally guided me through that process only like because I asked, like I asked for help and like, he was just really supportive. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm super grateful um, for the amount of investment that he, he put in my career because I would not be here if it weren't for Lester Tomei. I mean, I have many people who have been really <laughs> wonderful mentors. Roger is another person at yes. Smith who, like, really, like, uh, he uh, is a, he was wonderful in my thesis pro project. But, like, yeah, I, I think about all these um, people who have had really fu fundamental impacts on my career trajectory. So, anywho, that was a longer answer than the question that you No, asked, I love but. that. I love And I just love thinking back to our time at Smith. I haven't really been able to be back or... Uh, over the quarantine, I took a few of Roger's classes on Zoom, oh, which was okay. just like the best experience, even though I was just in my living room using a cat, a cat scratcher for a ballet <laughs> bar. Like it was just like the best time. I, I really need to reconnect with the my dance yeah. family. You know what I mean? It's like sometimes it's hard to, you know, you think like, oh, I'm I've graduated. I'm like, they don't they're done with me, but it's like, no, it's, you can still keep no, those like relationships it. going. I, I will say, you know, I, I live in Providence now and I did my undergrad at Brown, which is like a mile down the street that way. And I've reconnected since I moved to Boston, actually, I, I've been connected to like my undergraduate dance family um, down here in Providence. And like, I, I work with them now. Like we do stuff together with my college dance professors. Like so it's cool. awesome. So, you know, like you never, it's never too late to reconnect with those people who have influenced you. So. I love that. And our last, well, our this last is actually one. the second to last question because I have a question I ask everyone. Okay. But if you could change your name, what would you change it to? Your first name, sorry. I'm going to mm. change it to if you had to change your first name. Like if an I alias. If I had to change my first name. Hmm. Oh, I don't even know. This is so You're stressful. You're such a Steven. That's really hard. I, I am, aren't I? Like, yeah, it's weird. Like it fits you really well. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Am I a Chad? Am I like a basic white man? <laughs> Not Chad. <laughs> <laughs> um, you should pick something know. like crazy. Like what? Like moon boot? Like, I don't know. <laughs> For some reason, I'm just thinking like Heath. That's not crazy. Heath. It's just what I'm eating. Yeah. Heath. I could see you as a Heath. <laughs> sure. Heath, Heath is a very yeah. like, professor name. You would is need it? glasses, sure. I think. I wear glasses, actually. I'm just wearing contacts right now. You're so versatile. See. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> I thought we went over that. The point is not to be versatile. <laughs> yeah, no, don't be. Find <laughs> <I> yourself. <laughs> okay, the last question that I ask everyone is... What is the last question? <laughs> <laughs> my brain is so fried from this election uh what brings out your most creative self 
you warned me about this too. Like, <laughs> told me to think about it, and here I am in this moment. Did I ruin the surprise? Are you? Am I not supposed to no, say that you warned? No, I tell everyone band? that they know it ahead of time, <laughs> and it's in every episode. And I've seen your episodes before. <laughs> oh my um, god, thank you. Uh, of course, I'm your biggest fan. Um, I subscribe to you on Apple Podcasts, and I subscribe to you on YouTube. So, like, oh my number gosh. one fan. Um, You're literally my one, <laughs> my one fan. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Um, <laughs> let's see. What brings out my most creative self? Um, honestly, it's the collaboration with other people. And so, like, just, like, kind of, like, ties up a lot of the conversations we had about, like, learning who to trust and learning people who appreciate you and see you for what you are and who you are and what you contribute. Um, yeah, like, surrounding yourselves yourself with people who make space for you, right? Mm -hmm. And, like... And by default, making space for those people, like that's what inspires me. I'm not a choreographer who can like walk into a dance studio and like tell people what to do. Like, I mean, I do because I like <laughs> directing, but like, I don't like teach them dance steps and then tell them to go and then like sit in the front and judge them. Like, I want to collaborate with people and work mm. with them to find movement. And like, and that's how I teach in the classroom too. Like, I teach in a Socratic seminar style where like I'm not there to deliver material, I'm there to facilitate conversation. And like, I'm less interested in just, like, hearing the sound of my own voice. I end up talking a lot, but, like, shocking. But um, You have great things to like, say, though. I, I, like, really earnestly like hearing from other people. And I think the older I get, the more I realize that, like, I need that interaction to, like, figure out what else, what, what's, like, new in the world, right? Mm. Like, I don't know. Like, I was always the tech-savvy kid, but that's just because, like, we grew up at a time when like the world was changing and so we we're used right. to like adapting to new things but like i can't do tiktok i can't figure it out i'm sorry i'm too stupid me um, too <laughs> i mean i feel really stressed out whenever i open that app it's like, I like open screaming it and I'm like, at me i don't want that i'm like, like why are uh, you yelling at me so aggressive. Whoa. Hey. yeah that's exactly. really it's really so, um so in any case like youth culture is fun to learn about yeah exactly yeah, this is it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're going to make yeah. a TikTok after this. <laughs> are we? This is actually a TikTok show. Oh my god, live TikTok. Yeah. Are we are we sponsored? Are we influencers? Yeah, we are TikTok influencers. We're, we're TikTok <laughs> famous in case anyone We're knows. um we have sponsored by Village Candle. <laughs> um, the off-brand Yankee Candle brand. And, and Domino's. Domino's sure. Sure. Oh, brand free. We're big time. Sorry, anywho. What were you going to say? <laughs> I don't remember, but honestly, <laughs> this has been so amazing. This is exactly what at least I needed after the stress of yesterday and the stress that continues. I hope that this brings some joy to people's lives and there was a ton of really great information in here. Um, if you have anything you would like to plug, I have your Instagram down below. For some reason, it has two ats. That's not real. <laughs> But um, <laughs> you can say it out loud for the audio listeners um, and tell people where they can find you. So you can find me at Step in the Left um, on all socials, although they're all protected. But if you follow me, like I usually approve everything. <laughs> that's just because Unless I you're can, a weirdo. No. <laughs> no, it's just because I teach college students. So like, right. I got to <laughs> like, keep some boundaries, whatever. They don't actually care about my life. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter. I don't know what else. My personal website, stephen.arspring.com, which is like three years out of date. Um, and um, you and should make these cookies because they're really delicious. Season five of Reject Dance Theater. Is it going to happen? Yeah. Is this the official I, announcement? 
Sure, we can run with that. Yeah. So oh my we'll gosh, we got an exclusive. Inside, um, exclusive inside look at something that hasn't started yet. Um, yeah, I love so I think all of the people in involved in this, so I'm very excited for We've it got to some happen. Cool people um, doing cool stuff. Um, we're around. I just got super blurry. I don't know if you feel blurry. You on look your great too. to me. I look great. Okay. Um, yeah, make these cookies. Rick Martinez is an amazing chef. And like, yeah, eat cookies, be you. That's it. That's the quote. <laughs> eat cookies and be you. Awesome. Well, for me, you can find me at Essentially Haley for DIY fun um, stuff on YouTube and Instagram. And then Haley Grove, H A L E Y, uh, for my personal Instagram and dance stuff. Um, and definitely subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, I'm trying to get to a thousand subscribers before 2021, which would be a massive feat because we are at probably 136. <laughs> so, <laughs> and 2020 is almost over. Almost <laughs> over. I mean, if Trump can get so many votes, why can't I get a thousand subscribers? But that is a different topic. So, yes, um, subscribe to the podcast, Dancers Doing Stuff, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever else is out there. Apparently, there are a ton of places you can listen to podcasts, and I think I'm on all of them. But I just listen to Apple. So, that's that. And, yeah, what else? I mean, I think that is it. I'm considering making an exclusive dancers doing stuff instagram just mostly for my mental sake of separating parts of my brain so look out for that because i might do that um but yeah other than that if you make these cookies tag us let us know everyone eat cookies be happy take care of yourself and we're gonna get through this life together by making art and being cool the end (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for being here thank you bye if anyone out there is looking to start a podcast but doesn't know where to begin i have a great tip for you anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast it's actually what i'm using right now Anchor is free to use, and there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. They distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a ton of other places. Another cool thing is you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need to make a podcast is right in one place. Seriously, it's so easy. My first ever episode I recorded sitting in my closet talking to my phone in the dark. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thank you.